Today we are looking at the idea of Jesus and Occam. And we talked earlier a little bit of that idea of Occam's razor and what that is about. The idea of looking for the simplest solution. If we were to apply that into the Christian life of what does it mean to live with this idea of Occam's razor in your own life, it would be something like this. If you're in conflict with another person, the simplest solution out of that is forgiveness. You forgiving them. And instead, we find, obviously, that it's so hard to do, isn't it? We find it so much easier to make excuses for ourselves, to hold that anger and that bitterness that we have. The simplest solution often can be the hardest one. As we come to today's passage, we are looking at Jesus as he speaks to the nature of rules that are in place during his time. And the backstory on the rules that Jesus is encountering as he is speaking to the people. So they're living under what we know as the Old Testament. And under this Old Testament, rabbinic tradition, so the rabbis were the teachers of the day, and so they had developed teaching around what we know as the Old Testament. And so part of the rabbinic tradition is that there were 16 Sorry, 613 rules in the Old Testament. There were 248 do's and 365 don'ts. There were a lot of rules. And rules, as we see here in the Bible, are designed to serve as guides. They're designed to show us the way. They're not meant to be ends unto themselves. So an example of what that means um, as we see that around us. So if we're driving through Melrose, the speed limit in Melrose is 25 miles per hour. And what's the purpose of the speed limit? It isn't so that you will only drive 25 miles per hour. That's not the purpose of the speed limit. The purpose of the speed limit is to keep us all safe. So if you were in a medical emergency rushing to the hospital and it was safe for you to drive 30 miles per hour and get there a little bit sooner, should you do that? Yeah, yeah. And the purpose of the speed limit is to keep us safe. And the same way we look at the laws of the Old Testament. And their purpose was to send to God. But as Jesus is speaking to the people in his time, they seem to have lost the purpose of these rules that had been in place. And they like to do the little instructions that were given. So they were given instructions about sacrifices and doing this. So they certainly were eager to do those, but had kind of lost the big picture. If we were to say, what does that look like? They were the kind of people that would always drive 25 miles per hour, whether that was the safest thing to do or not, because that was the rule. And Jesus says, you've missed the purpose. And our setting that takes place in our text today is that one of the leaders comes up to Jesus and has a very good question. He has actually a great question for Jesus, which is a little bit different 
often see with religious leaders during this time. Because often they would come to Jesus with this idea of trying to trick him. Some idea of trying to somehow get him to say something that he didn't want to say. So they come to Jesus with this idea of showing their superiority over him. But not on this occasion. On this occasion, the man comes with a very genuine, real, and very important question. And he says to Jesus, which commandment is the greatest? Let me read our text for us today. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And as I'm reading, I'm beginning um, beginning in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. What we find Jesus doing as he faces this question of which commandment is most important. He goes right to the law and begins to quote from it. And he parses the law down to its essential components. And the first thing that Jesus quotes from is Deuteronomy chapter 6. And there he picks up part of the Shema, which is part of the declaration that the Jewish people had in their understanding of who God is. They began with this thing called the Shema, which Jesus quotes here, this idea of God being one. And then the idea of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he picks up on this commandment out of Leviticus 19.18. And this commandment out of Leviticus is just kind of floating around there among what would otherwise be described as miscellaneous rules. But in the miscellaneous rules of Leviticus 19, we find this idea that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And as I mentioned, Jesus, during this time as he is speaking... He is speaking to a time where they had 613 rules. And Jesus slices away at their religious tradition. And he slices away at the law. And he takes those 613 and brings them down to one. Love God and love your neighbor. William of Ockham of Ockham's Razor would be oh so proud of Jesus. Because he has taken all of the clutter away and says, I can make it simple for you. Love God and love your neighbor. These two commands that we have from Jesus are intention. They are intention with one another. Each is pulling against the other. And let's go through and read these together so that we can hear those again. So this is Jesus giving the, com- the first part of the greatest commandment. Let's read this together. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he continues on into the next verse, and we can read that together as well. This is the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And Jesus takes these two ideas, and he holds them in tension. And he says, I'll tell you this. You cannot love God if you don't love your neighbor. It says, you know, you can't actually love your neighbor if you don't love your God. And as we think of moving forward with these ideas, is that we are going to have to keep these two in balance because they are going to work together. We must keep both in the right proportion, otherwise we end up in a place that God does not want us to be. So you might be asking yourself, here's the question I would ask myself, what, you know, what if I, I love God more than I love my neighbor? In other words, what if I kind of, you know, we look at that scale and we say, I'm gonna do a little bit more loving God than loving my neighbor. What does that look like when I see that going on around me? And here's how we would describe that. Here's what that looks like. This idea of loving God more than our neighbor. This is the kind of person that has great knowledge of the Bible. Where they can quote those Bible verses as fast as anything. They know all the numbers of where everything goes. They can quote books you've never heard of. But this person also lacks compassion towards other people become very judgmental. They become proud in their knowledge of God. And they cannot say, they cannot say, God help me, because they don't think they need any help. They see all of this understanding of God they have, and they think, hey, I've got this. I understand this. And the example that we see in the Bible is Jesus as he speaks to the religious leaders standing on the street corner praying, oh, thank you, God, that I am not like those other people. And while we don't see people today standing on the street corner with such prayers, we do have such people around us that lift themselves up in their own knowledge of God, but lacking compassion towards the people around us. Now, what about loving our neighbor more than God? Do we see that too? What does that look like? And we do see that too. And this is, begins with this idea that we can somehow love our neighbor without God's help. We believe that our self-produced love for other people, which is not fueled by God, is sufficient to love the people around us. And we find ourselves not saying, God, help me love other people. Because we are under the belief that we can do it without God's help. And we find ourselves with this truth before us, that our ability, our capacity to love our neighbors is capped by our love of God. And our capacity to love our God is capped by our capacity 
to love our neighbor. They move forward together. And to accomplish either one, we always need God's help. Now, as we think of this idea of loving other people, question that comes to my mind and maybe comes to your mind is what about non-Christians? As I was speaking today, I was speaking to people who are followers of Jesus Christ, people who are committed themselves to doing what God wants, to Christians. But what about non-Christians? Can they love other people? Can a completely irreligious parent love their child? Yes. Yes, they can. And that matches what we see, right? We see people with faith, without faith, caring for their children, giving all that they have for their children. And this fits into what we would theologically describe as common grace. That being that there is goodness in this world. There is goodness here because God made that goodness. But that goodness is shared among all people, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or not. And as we think of this idea of loving other people, there is a love that even the irreligious can have for other people. But a couple of things I'm going to push us on in our understanding of that. According to Jesus, we are not called to this familial love that I just spoke of. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus isn't saying, love your child as yourself, or love your parent as yourself, or your brother, or whoever it may be. He is saying, your neighbor. And your neighbor is not your family. And in fact, Jesus would say, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is your enemy. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's calling us to love our enemies as ourselves. I'm going to read to us out of Matthew chapter 5, which comes to us um, as part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to see this idea of common grace come through here, but we're also going to see this idea of Jesus revisioning this concept of who your neighbor is and what does it mean to love them. I'm beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. A great example there of common grace, that rain falls equally on all people. Continuing on, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Jesus is not 
calling us to this love that we understand and we see around us. And certainly it's good that parents love their children, and that is what we want, whether they are of the faith or not. We want parents caring for their children because that is the right thing to do. But when we think of Jesus calling us to love, it's a different kind of love. It's a love of your enemy. That is your neighbor. And the truth is, is that not many Christians are loving their enemies as themselves. That is just the simple truth of that. As my observations, that's what I would see. And I would say even fewer non-Christians are loving their enemies as themselves. A reminder for us that our capacity to love our God is limited by our capacity to love our neighbor. Our capacity to love our neighbor is capped by our capacity to love our God. But here's the hope that we have in that, is that God is always moving us forward. God wants that to happen in our life. And as we've seen, as we've looked through the story of Jesus, Jesus understands the difficulties of these challenges that he puts before us. And God is always there encouraging us along. And while God gives us this target that seems impossible to reach, we know that our God wants us to reach it. And we know that as we step forward in loving our God and loving our neighbor, our God is there along with us, encouraging us, cheering us on. And we have those here among us. As we strive to do that together, we know the difficulty but we also know the desire to make it happen. And that is a beautiful thing of gathering here and worshiping together as we look upon this impossible command that Jesus gives us. And we find ourselves not discouraged by our inability to reach it, but encouraged because we are moving towards it with the help of our God and with the help of the people around us. One final question for us as we go through our passage today is, can we use this idea of Occam's razor on Jesus' greatest commandment? In other words, can I look at the commandment that Jesus just gave us and do a little bit more shrinking down? Is there a little bit more chopping away that we can do on Jesus' greatest commandment? And the reality is, is this takes place around us. If we were to look at New England churches, we see a little Occam's razor effect on Jesus' greatest commandment. And it's this reducing this idea of loving God and loving neighbor and having those equally pulled together. And we find ourselves with this idea that, you know, we can live out the love of God towards everyone around us. And the more we push on that, the more God kind of gets pushed aside, and it's all just about loving other people. And we say, hey, we're just, we're just kind of, re we're just producing down this greatest commandment. We're just getting a little more efficient. That's the right thing, isn't it? I mean, that's what Jesus did. Yes, that is what Jesus did to the Mosaic law, the law of the Old Testament. He took a lot of rules and he brought them down to just this one that was combined of two. But the reason that Jesus was able to do that is because he set up an entirely new covenant with God. 
he changed the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was a path to God that no one could follow. And Jesus says, I got it. I'll walk that path to God through the law of the Old Testament and make a new way to God. I'm going to read to us out of our second passage today, which is coming from Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. And as I'm reading that, once again, that's available in your worship guide. So in your bulletin, uh, you will have a paper insert, and that will have that verse. That's right where I'm reading from. And I want you to see how Jesus changes the Mosaic law. Jesus defeats the Mosaic law. Jesus, in his words, would say he fulfills the Mosaic law. And by doing that, Jesus is then able to reduce the Mosaic law down to those two commands. Let me begin reading for us in Hebrews 9. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, which is how the priest before Jesus entered, but he entered the most holy place, that special place where the priest entered once a year. But Jesus enters this most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Jesus entered through the tabernacle, the holy of holies, the holy place, and sacrificed himself, providing eternal redemption. Continuing on in verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkle on those who are ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. Jesus brings a new covenant. Because of that, he can make this command. Unless we are able to likewise make a new, new covenant with God, and probably we ought to just stay with Jesus' words, to love our God and to love our neighbor. And so when we think of this idea, how come we just can't reduce Jesus' command down a little bit more? Why can't we do to this command what Jesus did to the law? Well, that's because Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is perfect. And we're going to do better to follow him and to create, to create some sort of new path to God, which we absolutely cannot do. As we close out today, my encouragement for us all is to love our God and to love our neighbor. And when you fall short of that, be not discouraged. is who we are because we are people that need God's help and the more that we find ourselves, ourselves saying help me God the more we will find ourselves doing exactly what God wants us to do and I want you to know that every time you utter those words God help me 
That is a victory in your life. And so as you go out of this place, living your life today, living your life this week, be willing to say, God help me. I'm going to give us a moment to silently reflect upon our message today. And as God is speaking to you, I encourage you to hear.